Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. I'm going to talk to you this morning about life, specifically about passion for living. If you are like me, then there are probably times in your life where you get up in the morning and you are excited about the potential of the day, excited about the direction of life and looking forward to living out the next 18 hours or so. And then there are other times when it's hard to drag yourself out from under the covers, when it doesn't seem like the sun is shining on your exuberance for living. In fact, where the passion for life has waned, the flames of that passion dying. What I want to do this morning is I want to just talk about that reality. And I want to do that because I need to hear it. This is Brad talking to Brad and you get to sit in and listen and I'm praying that it would connect with your heart as well because it's the truth of God. But I am in one of those times where I need the flames of passion for living to be blown on by the truth of God, the Spirit of God. What is it that causes those flames of passion for life, vibrancy for living to wane? I think maybe just the easy, comprehensive answer is just life does, right? Life could be fatigue, Maybe a mom with several kids. Another day of diapers and feeding and taxi and chauffeur. and Maybe it's just the reality of the mundane. Sometimes life can just feel like a, a merry-go-round. You know the illustration, the picture of a merry-go-round. It just goes around in a circle, right? And then the horses go up and down as it goes around in a circle. Sometimes that's what life can feel like. You're just going around the same track over and over and over and over again. And what you're doing as you go around and around, you're just going through ups and downs, through ups and downs, around and around again. You ever felt like that? I have... We know... We learned this in school, right? The earth spins on its axis once a day. Full revolution once a day. I have spun around clinging to the earth 18,198 times. Some of you math people in here are going, okay. 18,198, 365 days a year. You're trying to figure out how old I am, right? Let me just help you out. 31. (laughs) You see, when you start life, like a kid coming to a merry-go-round, wow, that just looks like a thrill-packed adventure. And after you've been around it a few times or a few hundred times or a few thousand times, it can feel like the mundane monotony. But that's not the way God wants us to live life. Life is a gift. He wants life lived with passion, as is true in every other area of life. The great example of this is the person of Jesus Christ. He is the perfect human being. And he lived a life 
every day with a passion for what he was here to do with that life. And I want to live more and more like that, and I'm convinced God wants you to as well. So what I want to talk to you about this morning is how we can, if the fires, the flames of passion for living are waning some in our life because of the merry-go-round, up-and-down, day-in-and-day-out routine. I want us to look at some truth this morning that I believe if we take it to heart and mind, reflect upon it, it will be like blowing on the fire, on the flames of passion so that they ignite. So I'm going to give you Three main truths, and they're truths about you. Truths about you. That if you understand, if you keep them in view, they'll help you in the ups and downs of life to approach life with passion and excitement, anticipation, meaning. So let's look at what those are. Here's the first one. It's about discovering who you are. Your identity. Discovering who you are. And here's the first truth that God created you with significance. You want to help fan into flame the passion for living? You have to understand at the very ground level that This truth is true about you. God created you with significance. God's word is very clear. You are so significant because of this, because of your identity from God. Listen to Genesis 1.27 and look for, listen for your identity from God. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. You were created with the image of God stamped into, woven into the very makeup of your being. Created in the image of God. Here's what that means. You were created to be a reflection of of God in this universe. God created you in His image to be the bearer of His image to the world. I live up on a hill and from my deck, particularly beautiful summer nights, I can see incredible vistas from there. Just the grandeur of the sun going down behind the Alaskan range in amber or red tones. It, I mean, it just incredible paintings by the hand of God revealing His power, revealing His handiwork. But you... You, the far greater memorial to God than any sunset painting or mountain picture. You were created not to just be an example, a picture of the power of God. You were created to be a reflection of the person of God. Created in His image. To be a reflection of God Himself. You want to help fire up a passion for life? Get a hold of that truth. Your identity, who you are, you are created to be a reflection of God Himself. Now we have a problem with the image of God that we were created in. That image has been marred by sin. 
not completely destroyed, but marred by sin. It's like looking at a tapestry from the backside of the tapestry. When you look at the backside of a tapestry, there is no picture, there's no symbol. It's just loose ends and nonsense and a big mess when you look at it from the backside. That's what sin has done to mar the image of God. But when you see the tapestry from the front side, then you see the design. Then you see the beauty of the picture. Then you see the order and purpose in it. And our lives are like that. Sin has marred the image. But Jesus Christ has come to restore that image so that if we see our lives from the front side of the cross and the resurrection, our faith in Jesus Christ and who He is and what He has done, our lives can begin to model and reflect the image of God to our world that they were made to. And oh, how significant that makes you. If that is what you are doing how significant it is. <coughs> you see, the world sends a really different message. Let's just stick with our culture. What does our culture say are the trappings or the indicators of significance? Let me just give you what I'd call the big five. Just really quickly, these are going to probably make Pretty simple sense. You could probably name them. Beauty or appearance. Wealth. Fame. Power. And accomplishment. Beauty, wealth, fame, power, and accomplishment. Beauty, what do you look like? Wealth, what can you buy? Fame, who knows you? Power, who do you control? Who works for you? Who do you have sway over? An accomplishment, what have you done? You see, the world, our culture says, our significance is really hinges upon, is based upon those five things right there. I'm not saying it's the only five, but I'd call that the big five. But that is not what God says at all. That's not what God's Word says. Here's what God's Word says. You are significant because of who you are, who God created you to be. Not because of what you've done, not because of what you look like, not because of what you can buy, not because of the people that know your name, not because of the people that you control or the things that you've done. You are significant because of who God made you to be, His image bearer. It has to do with the work of God. Men, the world can feed us so many lies. world ever told you that you're worthless, you're of no account, you'll never amount to anything. It's a lie. It's a lie. You were created with incredible significance. Unlike anything else in God's creation, you were created in His own image. You go through the creation account and nothing else took place like that. God spoke and there was, but then He came to man and He made this eternally defining statement about humanity, separating it from the rest of the created orders. Now we're going to do something different, something incredible. We're going to make man in our image. And the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit held counsel within their triune nature to make humanity in the image of God to be a reflection of Him. So your identity 
makes you significant. Second thing that makes you significant is your capacity. And this goes along with your identity. You see, your identity from God created in His image makes this true. You have a capacity for God. One of the key aspects of your image that God made you within is that that means he made you with the capacity to have a personal, intimate relationship with him, with your creator, with the God of the universe. Wow, how significant does that make you? The one who spoke the universe into being This is the one who keeps the planets and the earth in its orbit. This is the one that has the keys to the storehouse of snow. This is the one that put the spots on the leopard and on and on. That one created you with the capacity to have a relationship with him. Personal, close, intimate. Wow, that makes you significant. So you were created to reflect God and you were created to relate with God. Your identity and your capacity. And then thirdly, you're significant because of your possibilities with God. Your possibilities with God. Not only do you have a unique identity and not only do you have an incredible capacity, you have a mind-boggling potential. Philippians 4.13, Paul wrote this, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Paul is writing here to followers of Jesus, giving a truth about every follower of Jesus Christ saying, That I can do all things as a follower of Christ because of Him who strengthens me. It is the power of the resurrected, all-conquering Christ that lives in me by His Spirit. Therefore, because of that reality, all things are possible. That makes you really significant. Your identity from God makes you significant. Your capacity for God makes you significant. And your possibilities with God make you significant. So don't buy the lie that you're of no account. You want to help fan the flame of a passion for living? Then focus on the truth about who you are. Your identity from God, your capacity for God and your possibilities with God. What is the common thread in every one of those three statements? Identity from God, capacity for God, possibilities with God. What's the common denominator? God. God. The great being of eternity determines your significance. He has a plan for your life. We're going to talk about that in a minute. It's his world, his universe, and he's doing something in it. And he wants to do something in it with you. That makes you so significant. It's not just another spin, another circle today as the earth spins on its axis and as you cling to its edge. This year is not just another lap around the sun. There's something far bigger going on here. Image bearer of God.
with a capacity for God and the possibility through His power and strength to do all things. You see how understanding who you are can help put a little pep in your step for living? It makes it worth getting up today, crawling out of the sheets this morning. It's me and God today. So discover who you are. Here's the second main truth to help ignite and fan into flame your passion for living is discovering why you are. Not just who you are, but why you are. What's the purpose of your life? You see, here's the truth. God designed you with a purpose. God designed you with a purpose. God designed you with a purpose. I didn't say that to the person to your left or right. I said it to you. Ephesians 2.10, listen to this. For we are His, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What this verse here teaches us is about the way that God designed us, created us. In fact, the reference here is, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, created in Christ Jesus for good works. I believe the reference here is to recreation, to salvation. And that those who have put their trust in Christ and Christ alone have come to Christ for the forgiveness of sins through His Death on the cross in which he paid sin's penalty and his resurrection from the dead in which he defeated death's grip and offers hope and eternity of life for his followers. You see, if you have put your faith and trust in Christ, you have been created in Christ Jesus. And the truth about you is that you're God's workmanship. And you're created for good works. I want to just focus on a few words here to try to draw out the weight of the truth here. That when understood, I believe if you really understand it, it'll give you an excitement about your life. Focus in on the two words, God's workmanship, and the emphasis on God's. Let me just try to illustrate that kind of from an earthbound perspective for a minute. This idea of workmanship, kind of the picture of a craftsman there, right? I have a brother, older brother that is what I would call an incredible craftsman. He can take a piece of wood and turn something incredibly beautiful, make something incredibly beautiful out of it. He's a craftsman. As I look out at some of you, some of you that I know your lives and what you do, some of you are craftsmen in a certain area. Some of you can take a musical instrument and with it move hearts with the emotion, bring inspiration. Some of you might be artists that can do the work of a skilled artesian, a craftsman with your painting or your drawing. And the list goes on. The point being, We appreciate when we see true craftsmanship as an indication of the skill of the one that made that. Now let's just turn that idea upon God and what this verse says about you. It says this, that you're God's workmanship. So let's ask the question, what kind of a craftsman is God? 
if you're God's workmanship, let's try to find out if you're good or bad work, a good or a bad work of art from God by asking the question, what kind of a craftsman is God? He is the God that has known all things throughout an endless eternity. Never has he come to a new idea, a new understanding. He's known all things for all time. He is the God of all power, of all skill. He's never increased his skill. He's had it throughout an entire eternity. He never can get better because he is the best all the time, throughout all time. And he made you. He crafted you. What does that make you then? You are God's workmanship. That means that you were made, crafted in perfection. You say, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Brad. If I was designed in perfection, then why do I see so many things in my life that are far from perfect? Or maybe, let me just get a little more specific. Have you ever had this conversation with God? God, why did you make me like this? Why is this aspect, why is this one thing in my life like this? I don't like it. I don't want to be like this. You made a mistake here, God. Change this right here. Bible have anything to say about that? God make a mistake? Was it an off day when he crafted you and accidentally let some of that shoddy work get through? Is that the problem? Paul, the great apostle Paul, the prolific author of the New Testament, probably the greatest Christian thinker of human history other than the person of Jesus Christ, the apostle Paul had a struggle just like that. He had something about his life that he did not like and he beat and kicked on the door of heaven over three seasons of time telling God it needed to be changed, asking that it be different. Second Corinthians 12, 8 and 9. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness And then here's his commentary on that. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So here's the situation. Paul had this weakness in his life and he looked at it and he hated it and he's begging God. He's beating on the door of heaven saying, God, change this. I don't want to be like this. He's looking at the circumstance from his earthbound, limited perspective and then God teaches him a lesson he kind of turns the principle completely upside down and the message comes through like this Paul the very thing that you are looking at is a weakness is the very place and venue occasion through which I'm going to move into your life in incredible power and display my glory and my grace through that thing in your life that you hate so much. It's like, wow, what a radically different view. And Paul says, and here's what I learned. Here's the result in my life. Man, I praise God for that weakness now because it is that very thing that becomes the venue through which the power of God is displayed through my life. So I'm saying that to say this. Yes, we may have things in our life that we don't like, aspects of our personality. I'm not talking about bad decisions that you make. I'm talking about aspects of your personality or your makeup or what you look like or what, you're, what you speak like or just a wide variety of things. And we may look and say, man, this is really subpar here. I need to be different than this. 
And what God says is, I made you like that for a reason. And it's actually an incredible blessing because it'll be the channel through which my grace and my power flows through your life. You see, it works like this. We don't know it near often enough, but it's always true. Everything that we can do is because of God. I mean, was that a pretty overly simplified statement? I mean, just do what I'm doing right now. You have to look really closely at my eyes. Just do this. That blink right there? I could do that because God allowed that to happen. This thing that I feel right here, about every second... That's happening because God's allowing that to happen. You see, when we face a weakness, it brings humility. And Scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so it's in the midst of our weaknesses that we come to Him in humility and we get out of the way and God moves in in power and He glorifies Himself in and through our lives so that the very weakness that we didn't want becomes the very means through which the venue through which God moves in in power. That's what Paul said he learned and so now he boasts in his weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on him. Totally different perspective. Point being this, you were designed with perfection. Even if you look at yourself and say, well, it's not quite perfect. You were designed by a perfect craftsman, God You are God's workmanship. He is the perfect craftsman and you are His workmanship. That makes you so incredibly, radically significant. And then, not only were you designed with perfection, you were designed to make a difference. Look again at the verse If you highlight in your Bible or you circle words, circle these words, for good works. You are God's workmanship, and why did he create you for good works? Here's what that means. Here's what that means. It means that your life can make a difference. Your life is not about you. Good works are things outside of you. Good works are ways in which not Getting the bigger house on the hill, that's not the good work. Building the portfolio, that's not the good work. The good work is how your life intersects others' lives and helps the will of God get accomplished in their life. Your life becomes influential, can become influential in advancing the good things of God in the lives of others. That's the good works. God created you for good works. In other words, Your life has an incredible significance beyond yourself. You are designed to make a difference. And with the purpose comes the potential to do so. And then the third aspect of that, you being created for a purpose, the third aspect after designed with perfection and designed to make a difference Here's the other truth. You were designed for a special project. Think about how significant that makes you. God designed you for a special project that he didn't design the person to your left or right for. You say, well, how do you know that, Brad? Well, let's just look at the verse again. Ephesians. It says that those who are in Christ, sons and daughters of God, they, were just, they are God's workmanship created for good works, listen, that God prepared beforehand for them to walk in. 
God, from eternity past, prepared good works for you to do, for you to walk in, for you, specifically for you. Here's what I'm convinced of is the truth of Scripture here. I believe that you're the best in the world at doing precisely the unique thing that God prepared in advance for you to do. Nobody else on the planet can do it like you, those good works that God wants you to do. You're the best in the world at them. Now think about what that says about your life, that those good works are the things that God has prepared beforehand and he places on your path of life so that you don't see them coming, but when you get up in the day, you can think this thought, wow, there are some eternally prepared things for me to do today that are my specific challenge and calling and adventure God made them for me to do. That means my day is not just clinging to this globe one more spin. As I take one more slow yearly lap around the sun. No, I've got some things that the Creator wants me to do. Man, I wonder what the good work is going to be today. Boy, that could just give you a whole new perspective on life. Man, it's not just another routine kind of merry-go-round up and down up and down no there's some incredibly significant realities to your life when you understand that so how do you ignite the fashion the passion the fan into flame the passion for living in your life first of all you discover Reflect upon who you are. You're created with incredible significance. And secondly, you discover why you are. That you were designed for a purpose. And then here's the third truth about you that can help fan into flame a passion for life and that is discovering where you're going. Discovering where you're going. Here's the truth. God built you for eternity. He built you for eternity. The fact is this unequivocally stated in Scripture, you are going to live forever. question is, where are you going to live forever? You were created immortal. The unique reality of the human race is that when God created us in His image, He breathed into us the breath of life. God breathed His eternal breath into us. That's what took that lump of clay that he had fashioned into a body that we call Adam and when he breathed into it, that's when Adam became a living being when the breath of God went into him and he became a spiritual, eternal being from that point, an immortal being that was going to live forever and you're a part of his posterity there. You are going to live forever. Ecclesiastes 3.11. Just a little statement out of that verse in the Old Testament. It says this, Also, God has put eternity into man's heart. That has a lot of deep meaning, but it certainly means at least this. We know we were created for something beyond this. There's more to life than what we are seeing right here on this globe. There is eternity in the heart of man. We know we were created for something far greater than our life when our physical body dies and decays is not the end of our existence because we were created for eternity. We were created as immortals. 
You see, that does something if we reflect upon that reality. It does something to how we approach every day spinning around on this globe. Because what we see is this. My life is not just about what I'm doing and what seems like the mundane. I am an eternally immortal being. I'm going to live beyond this life and what I do here has import for there. So what I'm going to do is when I get up today, I'm going to set my eyes on eternity. I'm not going to just become consumed with my head down Consumed by all of the tangible things all around me. No, I'm going to walk in the temporal with my eyes on the eternal. You know, Jesus Christ is the perfection of that right there. It's a great verse that just clearly identifies that truth about the life of Jesus. And it's this. Who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Here's what that means. The worst thing that humanity could offer, the worst thing that a person could experience in this life, the cross, the Roman crucifixion, that Jesus endured that. How? How did He walk through life knowing that's where He was going and walking through that experience? He did it by setting His focus on the joy that was before Him. He knew what was on the other side. He knew that His life was changing human history. He knew He was here for a reason. And what He did is He walked in the moment with His focus on eternity. And that's the way that you and I are going to be able to live lives with a passion for living to understand that as we walk through step by step in what might look like the mundane, that what we're doing is we are really moving toward and preparing for an eternal existence. And what we do in the here and now matters for there. That makes what you do in the here and now so incredibly important. It's not just punching the clock as you grab onto the globe and spin around on the earth. It means that what you do here is going to have consequences forever and ever. That's significant. You see, one of the schemes of the devil, I believe, and I'm talking here, it's true in both, but I'm talking specifically here about sons and daughters of God, those who have put their trust in Christ and Christ alone. One of the schemes of the devil is to keep you head down and distracted by all the stuff around you. Instead of you setting your flint, your eyes like a flint toward eternity and saying, wow, I'm taking this step because of that. I'm taking this step because of that. I'm doing this because of that. I'm doing this work because of that. You see how that just puts the whole temporal thing in perspective? It's, I'm going to build this bigger house here because of that? No, that's going to burn up. You're not taking that with you. It's going to be ashes. But I'm going to do this action that's going to reverberate in its influence throughout eternity. Wow, that makes my actions here a big deal. So the kind of Brad speak, Brad speak to himself here this morning that you're getting to listen in on as I'm working at taking the truth of God and letting the Spirit of God fan into Flame, my passion for life that has been waning. The truth that I believe that can do that is discovering who you are, why you are, and where you're going. Let me just close with this. Probably learned in school that fire... Fire really has three elements, <clears throat> needs three things. 
It, <clears throat> it needs heat, fuel, and oxygen. Kind of like a triangle. You take one of those away, and the triangle breaks down, and fire is suppressed. It needs heat, fuel, and oxygen. And the way that heat works, just think about a fire. Now think about a, maybe think about a forest fire. Just recently we had a massive forest fire here in our state, right? Fire perpetuates itself. And the heat enables that to happen. And here's how it enables it to happen. As a fire moves forward, its heat that is radiating off of that fire is contacting the potential fuel that lays in the path of that fire. And that fuel has a certain moisture content in it, whatever it is. If it's a, let's say it's a tree that's kind of waterlogged and saturated, it's going to be harder to ignite that because of the water content in that tree. But what the heat does for fire that helps to perpetuate itself is that it radiates out ahead of the fire and it affects those things that are in its path and begins to prepare them to ignite by heating them up by decreasing the moisture level so that it gets to the point of a certain heat and it ignites and becomes a part of the fire. Now just, hopefully that makes logical sense to you, but let's take that to the spiritual now. Christians are to be like that. You see, our lives are to be producing this heat, this passion for life that radiates out from us and prepares the other potential pieces of fuel. People begins to prepare them to actually become a part of the fire of a passion for God. So that as we live life understanding who we are, why we're here, and where we're going, it should ignite in us this passionate life being lived for God that generates that kind of a heat that prepares what's around us to become a part of the fire itself. So just think about this now. Let's just run this to a logical conclusion. If we as Christians walk around and look like we're sucking on lemons all the time, who in the world is going to want to be like us? You see, Jesus, when he was here, what did the crowds do with him? They flocked to him. Do you think he was walking around dragging his lip? on the ground all the time? No! He was the, mo- he was the guy that was the most vibrantly packed life of human history. And people saw that and they wanted to get around this guy. He had what they wanted. And the world should want what we have. Our life should be producing that kind of a passion for life Producing that kind of a heat that warms up those around us that do not know Christ. Kind of prepares them so that the Spirit of God can come along and ignite them into flame. And that they become a part of the fire of a passion for God and living. It's the way that's supposed to work. So I'm, I'm just recognizing I need... I need to have that flame fanned in my own life. And I'm pretty sure that there's a number of you here that are there. And so I want to pray. Would you please stand? I just want to pray over us. Now the truth here would be used by the Spirit of God to be the fan that flames those, turns that dying fire into a raging fire. Let's pray. Father,
Lord, I just, uh, I just ask you, Lord, to help us to see, help me to see, help us to see the truth about who you created us to be, what you created us for, and the incredible reality of where we're going to be in eternity as followers of Christ so that we can see this life not as just run-of-the-mill, routine, mundane, punching the clock, but that we would see the significance of who we are, not based centrally upon the fact of who you created us to be. It's about you. And then the privilege of walking with you in fellowship and working with you in power to do things of eternal significance that impact the lives of those around us forever as we move toward an eternity in heaven where we will be with you face to face where we will have joy that is undescribable and undiminishable forever where we will continue to serve you in incredibly significant ways throughout all of eternity as we reflect your image to the rest of creation. Help us to begin to do that now. I want to pray, that's over individually, but us as a church, God, the Bible says that we should be like a light on a hill. God, I pray for Cornerstone Church. I pray that when people of the city, when those that do not know you in this city come in contact with members of Cornerstone Church that they would just be saying, God, wow, what do they have that I don't have? I want what they've got. What do they know that I don't know? Pray that we would just be used by you to be contagious for the person of Jesus Christ right here in this city. For your glory, I pray that in Christ's name. Amen.